Now, let me begin tonight by saying we are going to go back to a title that I preached or that I taught from two weeks ago on Wednesday night. We talked about lessons or the purpose in the wilderness. And I do believe that there is a purpose in the wilderness. But let me start this message tonight by saying it is not the will of God for us to stay in the wilderness. It was never the will of God for them to stay in the wilderness. They had to learn what they needed to learn so that they could go into what God had promised them. And so the, the, here's the punchline tonight. I guess I'd be a bad comedian because I'm going to give you the punchline right off. That is, we've got to learn some lessons because God has something great in store for us. Amen. I just feel I, I just feel this scripture right now. Uh, the it hadn't rained for three and a half years, and when's it going to rain? When's it going to rain? When's it going to rain? Well, Elijah had a prayer meeting, and whenever he got up from a prayer meeting, he said, it, "There is the sound of abundance of rain." That doesn't mean it's about to rain. That means it's raining right now. Man, y'all don't get that. I hear it right now. I hear it raining. Oh, Sister Martha, we'd get up here and sing a song, couldn't we? Uh, okay, all right, all right, we'll come back to that. Joshua chapter 14, verse number 6. The children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the, king, the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee and Kadesh Barnea, Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren went up with me, that went up with me, made my heart. Excuse me, let me read this right. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. That's eighty-five for anybody that doesn't oblah. 85 years old, yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. Are there any 85-year-olds here today? Anybody? You know? Okay. Nope, nobody? Anybody? Okay. All right. Well, Caleb was, and he said, I am just as capable of victory today as I was 45 years ago. The reason is because it's not by might nor by power. But it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. And it doesn't matter if you're a 14-year-old warrior picking up a sling and a stone, or if you're an 85-year-old Caleb, God is the one that supplies the victory. And so he says, Now therefore give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in that day. Amen. And he, I'll, he said, I'll be able to drive out the enemy. Uh, let, let me read... Just a couple more verses while you're standing, and thank you for your patience. 1 Corinthians 10, 5. 
But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Verse 11, Now all these things happen unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition. Let's pray. God, I love you so much. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've already done. I ask that you will anoint me to speak exactly what you want spoken, nothing more and nothing less. God, let a baptism of your word, let it come over us. Let a, let a baptism of faith come over us today, O oh God. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. And you can be seated. Thank you for standing. Uh, the wilderness was a preparation zone. They were transitioning from a life of servitude and slavery to Egypt into a place where God was going to give them power and authority and responsibility. And so this period of time that we refer to in the scripture that's 40, 45 years old, 40, 40 to 45 years long, it is referred to as the wilderness. And uh, if we're not careful, we would look at it and say those were wasted years. They were not really wasted years. They were a time when God was making them into what they had to be to be victorious in the land of promise. Uh, and so I spoke last week about some of the things that they dealt with when they went through the wilderness. We talked about that God gave Moses very specific instructions. He said, you can't go through the land of the Philistines because my people are not ready for war. We talked about that they were unstable in their thinking and they were always ready to turn around and go back because it was the path of least resistance. Thank be to God that He gives us strength to tread the path that maybe is a little hard. You know, it's easy to go with the flow. Uh, in, in a world where we're just constantly inundated with everything that is oppositional to God, the, uh, the, the, the language that, that you have to just overhear because you're on a job site, the 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 communication that you overhear, just the oppression of, uh, of the Spirit. I was in a, a, a high school a few days ago, or maybe it was yesterday, and uh, uh, Angie messaged me, and, and she said, you know, it seems like every time that I... Uh, she, she substitute teaches every now and then, and she says, it feels like every now and then, or every time that I substitute teach, I want to come home and take a shower. Um, and, and, and that's how I felt, not... Not, you know, that there was something physically on my hands, but man, it's just an oppressive, it's, we, we, we are opposing the God of this world. And, and so it's easy, it would be so easy, Brother Pat, to just turn and go with the flow. But that's what happened a lot. He went with the flow. And, and maybe at the end, Lot was saved, but his family was lost. So, so we have got to buckle down and say, it doesn't matter which way the world goes, I'm going to follow the Lord. And so, so this, this wilderness, I'm sorry, I got off the topic here, but I, I talked about we have to overcome bitterness in the wilderness. We have to overcome uh, the, the complaints of those possibly around us who, who say, I miss what's in the world. 
There is nothing to go back to in the world. If you are a blood-bought child of God, there is nothing to go back to in the world. I, I was reading this week and came across this scripture, Deuteronomy 17 and 16. Uh, Moses is giving instruction. He said, when you get a king, when you get to the promised land and you get a king, you make sure that king knows that he is not to multiply horses to himself nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end that he should supply or that he should multiply horses. Uh, horses were found in Egypt. And if you were from Canaan and you needed a horse, you went to Egypt. But God said, you are not to go back to Egypt for horses. I know it'd be easy for us to say, well, look, 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 you know, uh, we, we need some horses. Things would go better if we had horses. Look, it works for them. There is nothing in Egypt that we need to go back to. There is nothing. Seems to work for Egypt. Seems to be okay for Egypt. It might be okay to have a horse in Egypt. I feel like I'm not connecting here very well. So I'm going to move on for a minute. I might come back to that. But there's nothing back in our life of sin that we need. Somebody, somebody said this. Somebody said, this. <laughs> have you ever, you know, mama wants to go to Hobby Lobby. And, uh, and, and some of you guys have said this. I didn't lose nothing there. Mama wants to go to Walmart. I didn't, I didn't lose nothing there. I didn't lose nothing at Target. How many of you guys have said that? I, I didn't, yeah, there's a few of you. I didn't lose nothing there. I don't need to go back to a life of sin. I did lose stuff there, actually. I lost freedom. I lost innocence. I lost purity. I don't need to go back there because it's a place of loss. And, and there might be horses that are appealing to the eye. And it works okay. There's nothing in Egypt that we need. I don't care if it looks like success back there. So, I want to learn lessons in the wilderness. Because Numbers 14.25 says this. They, they got to the edge of the promised land. And God said this. Tomorrow, turn you and get you into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. They got to where they desired to go, Sister Daisy. And God said, tomorrow, when you get up, turn everything around and go back to the wilderness. I do not want to get to the edge of God's promise and Him tell me, or this congregation, you're not ready for what I have for you. And so, I want us to learn some lessons tonight. Some lessons from the wilderness. They were given to us for our admonition. Mighty, will you throw your hands in the air? God, I need you to talk to me and teach me everything I need to know in my life, everything I need to know for my family so that I can survive and thrive and be victorious in the promise that you've given me. 
There's milk and honey on the other side of this river, Lord, and I want to get there. I don't want to turn around. So some lessons in the wilderness. Numbers 13, uh, chapter 32, it's, or chapter 13, verse 32. We, many of us, knows the story. I will read this uh, because I want us to see it very clearly. Numbers 13 and 32. They came back from spying out the land. And I know I'm re-preaching the message from Sunday. Okay? So, and they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched out unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come from the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. I think it's, at least we should process this, that in verse 32, whenever they came back and they said, all this stuff, it's a land that eats up, there's giants, there's enemies there, Uh, I I don't know why God brought us here. Uh, It is evident that they lacked faith. In fact, the, the writer in Hebrews says that. It says that, uh, in Hebrews 3.12, Take heed, brethren, lest there be... Uh, well, let me read verse 19. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. It was because they lacked or they had unbelief. And I don't want, I don't want to get, dive too deeply into that. But it is certainly possible to hold faith and unbelief in the same, the same time. Because Jesus comes down off the Mount of Transfiguration. Is it okay if I just talk for a little while? Okay. Jesus comes off the Mount of Transfiguration. And uh, nine of his disciples have been trying to cast the devil out of this boy. And they're not being successful. And, and the father comes to him and says, Lord, these nine guys, they struck out. Can, if you, can, can you help me? And Jesus says, all things are possible to him that believeth. And the man says something so revelatory. He says, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. His faith wasn't the problem. God, I know you can do it. The problem was... I just don't know if you're going to do it for me. I just don't know if you're going to do it right now. I know you can. I just don't know if you're going to. And so, what is the... I'm way off my notes now, but... What's the antidote for unbelief? Jesus rebukes the devil. The devil is cast out of him. They, they go off to the side somewhere and the disciples, they kind of huddle up around him like, Hey, Jesus, how, how come we couldn't cast him out? And Jesus says, Because of your... They'd already cast devils out of people. They, they had already seen the miraculous. They had they'd, they'd laid their hands on folks and they got healed. They, had, they believed. So you don't have a faith issue, you have an unbelief issue. He says then, wherefore this kind cometh not out but by... What's this kind? 
We've always pointed at that devil and said, there's some devils you just can't beat unless you pray and fast. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with that. But I think this kind could refer to unbelief. Your problem is not the devil. Your problem is your unbelief. Here's what you need to do to fix that. Pray and fast. Pray and fast. Pray and fast. Pray and fast. Because what's going to happen when you pray and fast? It's not necessarily going to increase your faith level. It's going to eliminate your unbelief. Because the unbelief is the problem. It's that little voice in the back of my head that says I'm praying but I'm not sure God's going to do it. I want that voice to go away. Because, we're right back to it, I want me and I want everybody in this congregation, I want us to step into a realm of expectation. Not that God can do it, not that God will do it sometime, but God's doing it. And so they entered not in because of unbelief. Okay, so their unbelief led to their speaking like whiners instead of conquerors. I'm not going to re-preach that from Sunday. It's on the internet. But we do need to have the conversation of conquerors. We need to have the vocabulary of victors. Because as Caleb said in our opening text, I was ready to go, Moses, but my, the other ten, my other brethren... They cause the people's heart to melt with their words of unbelief. And so they, they had this unbelief, but this is what Numbers says about that unbelief and the speaking. It says, they brought up an evil report. So when we begin to speak and act out of unbelief, it's not just not good. It's bad. It is evil according to the Scripture. Now on Sunday we were shouting because we were talking about faith. But the opposite of it is not just failure, but it's evil. For me to speak negatively about what God's trying to bless me with is evil. They brought up an evil... He calls it evil. Watch what Hebrews says, Hebrews 3.12, Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Man. That's pretty strong. I'm glad I didn't write that. Alright. So, can we just all agree... We want to get rid of unbelief. We don't want to speak unbelief. We, we don't want to have an evil report. What caused the unbelief? Let's read back through this. They said, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. All the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come up of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. 
What caused their unbelief? This is what caused their unbelief. They saw their enemy. They saw themselves. But they never saw God. It was all about us and them. And there's no mention of God in their vocabulary. Even Caleb, which you read on, I think it's the next verse where it says, And Caleb stilled the people and said, We are well able to go up. Not even Caleb mentioned God. Now you go back to 45 years later, fast forward 45 years, and Caleb changed his testimony. Caleb said, I am well able to take that mountain if God be with me. If we don't see God in everything that we do, we are susceptible to an evil heart of unbelief. God was not at the center of their thinking. How can you tell? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Man, we saw those giants. We saw that we were like grasshoppers. They saw us. We were like, they, I mean, not a word spoken about this is what God promised us. All they saw and all they talked about was us and the enemy. And I will stand here and tell you that without victory in Jesus, we will not be victorious. Man, I feel a two-hour lesson coming on here. Uh, Sister Judy or Sister or somebody up there, Zoe, you got Galatians 5.16? If, if anybody has to go potty, you can get up and go, and I won't, I won't do that. Thank you so much. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Next verse. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Next verse. But if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Next verse. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Now let me, let me interpret this before we get into all this list. The works of the flesh are the eventual result of us trying to live for God through our own strength and ability rather than trying to walk in the Spirit. This is the eventual result of us taking a list of commands, precepts, and demands and willing ourselves to live for God rather than saying, God, I have to walk in your Spirit every day to please you. Jesus said the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. You can want to live for God all that you want to. But the weakness of your flesh is not going to allow you to do that. So now these are the outworkings. These are the manifestations of the flesh. And that is adultery. For, and we don't need to go through all of that list. The point that I want to make to you is that if, if we try to live for God on our own. We are going to lose. Psalm 10 and 4, 
just look at your neighbor and say, 10-4, good buddy. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. Wait a minute. God is supposed to be in all our thoughts. Every decision I make, can I say it this way? Every link I click, every conversation I have, every individual that I decide to connect with, I better be weighing what does God think about this? How will this please God? God has to be in all of our thoughts. See, because if God is, is sister, sister Dorsey, it's so good to have you back. Praise the Lord. So good to see you. The wonderful thing about walking in the Spirit and allowing God to have veto power over every single thing and trusting Him is that no matter how it turns out, I know God's going to take care of it. Proverbs 3 and 5, it's so elementary. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. See, what I don't need to do is I don't need to get on Wikipedia and figure out what is the best way for me to fix this. I don't need to watch, I know I, know I pick on Dr. Phil all the time, but I don't need to watch reruns of Dr. Phil, figure out what Dr. Phil would do. I don't need Oprah's opinion, and I don't need my bro brother-in-law's opinion. and I, I don't need opinions from the world. What I need is to trust in the Lord with all my heart, lean not unto my own understanding, and in all thy ways. Just look at somebody and say, all your ways. In everything. Everything. I need to, before I, and, and I don't know if anybody is looking for another job, okay, but if, if I'm going to think about applying for a new job, no, I just remembered somebody I do know that might apply for another job, so I wasn't trying to lie. <clears throat> but I'm not trying to preach to you that individual either. I, 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 don't, I don't have to, to make sure everything makes sense to me. In fact, I was telling somebody, there's a really easy way to know if it's the will of God for you to get this job. It's apply for it. I, I'll tell you a little story. Uh, whenever we were here seven, eight years ago, however long ago it's been, it's been a while, we were considering moving from Greenbrier County here. We were, we were trying to, re wanted to relocate. And, uh, and so there was a job at Golly Bridge Elementary School that had been posted for either 14 or 17 consecutive months and no qualified candidate had applied. And so Angie said, well, if we're going to move down here, I need a job and I want that job right there. And so she prayed, said, God, if it's your will for us to move here, I want that job right there. And do you know that after over a year of nobody qualified applying for that job, somebody else applied for that job the same time that Angie applied for it, 
And so Angie didn't get the job. Now, don't tell me that's coincidence. God wanted there to be a church in Lewisburg. It wasn't time for us to move here. I said, well, you're qualified. When she was going through this application process with Dennis, you know, I'm, I'm just, you can apply for that one, that one, that one, that one. She said, no, I want that one right there. I'm going to pray, and if God wants us there, he's going to give me that job right there. You know, it's really, really easy for God to not let anybody else apply for a position. That's a piece of cake for God. I was, I, and we're over time now. I'm not going to get halfway through half my notes. That's not a fourth of the way for those of you that don't, you know, we're helping with math tonight too. I was, uh, I, I was, I graduated from college and the, my, my dream, now I know it's going to be hard for some of you all to understand, but my dream math job was coming open at, it, it was, I knew the classroom that I was going to be in. It, it's where I had 7th and 8th grade math, and it was in the, in the best school in Fayette County, and it was going to be wonderful. And so I got down and I prayed, and I said, God, if you give me that job, I'll pay triple tithes. <laughs> you know, because I was going to be rich, because teachers are rich. They didn't teach us that in college. <laughs> There is a dirty little secret that they didn't tell us at the educational school in Morgantown. Anyway, so, so there was a guy who quit his job as an assistant principal in another school who had like, you know, he's like 100 years old. He was sneezing dust. <laughs> he, he, applied, he quit his job as an assistant principal, took probably a $20,000 pay cut to apply for that job. Of course, you know, he had a quarter, half a century of seniority, so he's going to get it. He got that job. He was in that position for two weeks. It was long enough for me to not get it and be placed someplace else. And I, I actually got hired into that position, and before I got moved there, I got... Not really fired, but reduction in force. I got, I got axed from that position before I ever got there. I, I think God had looked at the, at the pay schedule, and he knew how much I was going to make, and that I probably didn't need to, to be bound to this promise of paying triple tithes. <laughs> and so, so God had uprooted it. I'm, I'm telling you, if you will pray. Now, that was a dumb prayer. I'm talking about smart pray, okay? Pray like my wife prays, not, you get it? In all thy ways, in every decision that you make, small or large, acknowledge Him. And when you acknowledge Him, then He can. Then He can direct our paths. I, I want to minimize me in the future. I want to minimize every regret and every what if. If I place every single thing in the hands of God, 
a year from now, I don't have to say, well, if you would have done that. What a great way to live. I mean, I don't do it right all the time, obviously. I don't do it right all the time. I just confess to you. That was 18 years ago, so I'm hopefully getting better. But I want to live in such a way that I've given God every opportunity to guide my path. I don't want to steer. In all thy ways, acknowledge Him. Okay, so this is the consequence of the evil report. Numbers 14, I encourage you to read Numbers 14, 28 through 33. But it says, I'll just read verse 33, And your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years, and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. And the number of the days in which you search the land, even forty days, each day for a year shall bear your iniquities, even forty years. And ye shall, this is a scary little, little, little verse here. He says, And ye shall know my breach of promise. That literally means you'll know that I am estranged from you. And the Lord said, I will surely do it unto all this evil congregation that are gathered together against me in this wilderness. They shall be consumed. There they shall die. So he said, because of your unbelief, you cannot enter in. Here's what I want you to understand. Is that there's stuff, it, let, me, let, me, let me preface it here. Can you imagine them wandering through the wilderness for 40 years? And the young people, they're looking at the old folks, and they'd be like, when y'all go die, so we can go in. That's not happening in this church, okay? I'm just saying they were wandering through the wilderness, and can like, there's the last old codger. <laughs> when that guy drops, man, we can cross over Jordan. Because God said all of this generation has to pass away. There's some stuff in us that's got to die. There's some stuff from an old world that has to die. There's some mindsets from an old world that has to die. There's some, there's some predispositions that are in our heart that has to die so God can take us in. Forty years they wandered, it says. I don't think they really wandered. They were following God the whole time. But it seemed like they were making no progress. You know what was happening? Things were dying that could not exist in the promised land. There's some stuff that has to die. I got so much more stuff, but I... I, I See, here's the deal they would eventually become a great and mighty people of war. But God took them the long way around because they weren't ready for what they would be someday. Don't be frustrated as an individual. Now, I'm going to preach to the church in a moment, but let me talk to you as individuals. Don't be frustrated as an individual because you feel like you're not making progress and God hasn't, hasn't done what He's promised yet. Don't be frustrated. You've got some stuff that needs to die. And the sooner we die, the sooner he's going to say, you have compassed this mountain long enough. Deuteronomy, I think that's two and three maybe. 
You have compassed this mountain long enough. There was a period whenever God said, I'm no longer going to talk about taking you in. I am taking you in. I don't know if I should have an altar call right now or pass out coffees. Let's, let's stand to our feet. Won't you, won't you throw your hands in the air and, and begin to talk to the Lord? Are there some lessons, God, that I as an individual, I, I haven't learned them yet? Is there some things that you need to tell me? Lord, you gave us these scriptures as an admonition and for our instruction. Not so that we have to repeat their mistakes, but so that we can learn from their mistakes. God, in the name of Jesus, baptize us with faith. God, baptize us with expectation. Give us a vocabulary of victory. God, help us to get our eyes off our problems and get our eyes on You. If we keep our eyes focused on the problem, it breeds unbelief and it breeds fear. God, I'm going to keep my eyes on You. Now I want to talk to this church. Continue to pray if you're praying. I want you to continue to pray. But we are at such a critical point. I just can't get away from these scriptures and numbers in Deuteronomy. We are at such a critical point right now that we have to move forward. We cannot go back to where we were two months ago. Three, I know we had good church. I know. This is a rocking church. Man, it's so much fun to just come together and worship God, feel His presence. There's angels all around. I love it. But we have transcended something. We've moved in the last month. There's a depth of the Spirit that we have not been to heretofore. For 40 years they said, we're going to go in, we're going to go in, we're going to go in. God's going to take us in. For 40 years they believed God was going to do it. We have got to get to the Jordan River and say, yes Lord, we are going in. Let me share with you what I shared with the ministry before we came up here. John the Baptist had to die. Because John the Baptist's message was... The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. And as long as there's a preacher preaching, the Messiah is coming, everybody's going to be looking. Where is he? He's, I, I know he's going to show up sometime. John the Baptist, he said, I must decrease so that he can increase. We've got to stop saying revival is coming. We've got to stop saying harvest is coming. We've got to change our vocabulary to say revival is here. Jesus said, don't say there are yet four months and then cometh the harvest. But I say unto you that the harvest is, that the fields are already. Oh, I wish somebody would say it already. Right now. This moment. They are ripe for harvest. We're not going to have revival. We are in revival. I wish somebody would clap your hands and believe it with me. We are not going to have revival. We are in revival. We are not going to have harvest. We are in the middle of a harvest season and God is doing great. 
So whatever problem you personally came in with today, we had prayer for that. We got that out of the way. I want you to throw your hands in the air and say, God, direct my mind, direct my path, make me into what I need to be to participate in your harvest. God, change my vocabulary. To, to I don't want to say someday. I want to say today, oh God. Today is the day of salvation. Use me today, God. Use me today, God. When I go on my way home, you can use me. When I'm at Geno's tonight, God, you can use me. When I'm texting somebody tonight, you can use me tonight, God.